our subject today, the black Muslims in America. Your host is Eric F. Goldman, professor of history at Princeton University and author of Rendezvous with Destiny and the Crucial Decade. The census of 1960 indicated that about 18 million of our citizens, or some 10.5% of the total population, are Negroes. Since World War II, the struggle of these Negroes for equality in American society has been certainly the most spectacular and probably the most, the most significant feature of domestic American life. But all the while the Negro has struggled for this equality, observers have been noting something of a change in his tactics and something of a change in the mood of millions of members of that people. The general impression has been that there is a growing militancy, a growing impatience uh, with gradualism, uh, a growing unwillingness to wait. Among the militant movements uh, which Negroes have founded and built during this period are perhaps the most publicized and certainly one of the most important is the black Muslims. They are our subject today, where they came from, what they are, and where perhaps they are going. Our panel here to my right, Mr. Malcolm X, Minister of the Temple of Islam Number no. 7 in New York City, and generally acknowledged to be the number two leader in the National Black Muslim Movement. Mr. C. Eric Lincoln, Professor of Social Philosophy at Clark College in Atlanta, and author of the new volume, The Black Muslims in America. The first serious scholarly study of this movement and a book which has been called by the authoritative Gordon Alpart, one of the best technical case studies in the whole literature of the social sciences. The distinguished American writer, Mr. James Baldwin, author of the novel, Go Tell It on the Mountain, and the book of commentary, Notes of a Native Son. And George S. Schuyler, associate editor of the powerful newspaper, The Pittsburgh Courier, and a man who has long enjoyed an international reputation as a journalist. Mr. Lincoln, may I ask you to start us, you as the author of this scholarly study, with a comment on what you consider to be the nub of the black Muslim program. It would be difficult on a few words to set out the nub of the black Muslim movement because it is very, very many things. But I think for our purposes today, one could say that the black Muslim movement is essentially a movement of social protest which moves upon a kind of religious vehicle. It's a movement among many thousands of America's Negroes, principally those Negroes who belong to the lower economic class, and a kind of a struggle to find their way and to find their place uh, in the nation's uh, society. Or perhaps I should better say, in an attempt to set up their own society, a black nation of Islam. That would be its general approach. Could we get a little more specific, Mr. Stalin? Well, yes, of course, I have uh, read this very excellent book by Mr. Lincoln, and I've been following the uh, uh, movement of Muslimism, uh, particularly as expounded by Mr. X uh, for some time. I think that one of the bases, of course, uh, for the uh, uh, anti-Christian, anti-white view is that the uh, white Christians were responsible for slavery uh, in the world, 
and uh, that for this reason uh, they are to be cast into the outer uh, pale. Uh, now that's one of the many falsehoods upon which this movement is founded. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Muslims uh, carried on slavery for something like uh, 12 or 1300 years before the white European Christians uh, started it. I think that one of the outstanding slave traders in Africa who has a monument to him in uh, Zanzibar is Tipu Tip, who uh, devastated all Central and Eastern Africa. Mr. Scholar, before we get into the criticisms of the movement, could we at first try to get all on the table what precisely it stands for? Uh, Mr. X, would you like to comment? Uh, yes, first, though, I would like to point out that uh, we who are Muslims who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad don't accept the term Negro. We stand uh, against that, and uh, I would like to declare myself, I'm not the number two leader of the Muslim movement because we don't think of ourselves in that light. Uh, we have one God whose proper name is Allah. We have one leader in, uh, who in America here uh, is the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. We are one people, and we have one aim, and that's the upliftment and the betterment of our people here in America who are called Negroes, and uh, where the objectives and the program of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad differs perhaps from uh, the objectives and the programs and methods of these uh, other groups that represent the so-called Negro, uh, most of the other groups, their, their method of operation has a tendency to lead us to believe that it'll take us another thousand years if we follow their tactic, uh, whereas we who are Muslims, we're not willing to wait another hundred years. We've well, now, uh, in this uplift of the black man and unwilling to wait, what specifically do you want to do? Uh, number one, the honorable, I think it should be pointed out clearly that as Muslims, we are not a political group, nor are we a civic group, but rather we are a religious group. When I say that we're not a political group, uh, I'm letting, it's, it's being made plain there that uh, we are not relying on the politicians for a political solution because the Experience has taught us that in the past the politicians have promised but never delivered. And if we rely on a politician, we feel we'll be going right around in circles like our people have been doing here in America a hundred years since Lincoln issued the so-called so Emancipation Proclamation. Well, not relying on politicians, Mr. X, is it not correct that the Muslims seek to completely separate the black and the white man in America and to win and establish for the Negro their own homeland in several states of America. So that's religion. With us, if it, if it was a religion for Moses uh, 4,000 years ago to be missioned by God to separate the slaves in that day from the slave master of that day, complete separation, not integration, and still the uh, Christians and Jews both today regard Moses not as a politician but as a religious leader and a religious man, motivated by uh, motivated w uh, by religion completely uh, we feel that what the honorable Elijah Muhammad is doing here in America today in demanding a complete separation of this slave from his slave master and as Moses asked for a land of his own flowing with milk and honey the honorable Elijah Muhammad is likewise asking for a land for us flowing with the sweet milk and honey of freedom justice and equality well accepting well, accepting as Mr. Scholar uh, just wait a minute now uh, uh uh, at the risk of uh, going into politics, I would like to know how any group in the United States is going to separate part of the United States for them to live in without having something to do with politics. Do you plan to do this through warfare? 
sir, I don't think that it's necessary to bring about any warfare if, if, uh, if the slave, ex-slave in America, has to go to war with his former slave master to get what is his by right, then it's, that in itself is a con condemnation of the former slave master. If Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation a hundred years ago, which means we're supposed to be free, we're supposed to be citizens, we're supposed to be protected by the Constitution that we fight and die for, and yet at the same time today, the so-called Negro is knocking at the White House door, still begging his master to pass legislation that will give him recognition or pr protection by the Constitution that he is supposed that is uh, supposed to represent him. I think, sir, that uh, uh, the man who is depriving him of these rights cannot open up his mouth and uh, say that it would be war. It would be wrong to go to war against him to get these things. Gentlemen, before we go further into techniques, if you will excuse me, excuse me, Mr. Starr, I would still like to get out here the full program of the Muslim religion in America. Uh, we now have the desire for a separate grouping uh, in some states of America. Mr. Baldwin, would you comment on your understanding of other purposes of the movement? It's very difficult to talk about, um, talk about it in these terms, I think. I think that the power of the Muslim movement is involved with power, and um, I I know about power, but it's involved also with morality and identity. And this is the argument I have with Mr. X. Um, when Malcolm X says that, um, actually, actually, he's got a very good thing going for him. The Muslim movement does, because after all, what they are asking for is what the country is also on the record been asking for. A total separation of the races is what Mississippi wants and Georgia wants and on the basis of the record what the country wants. Now it isn't what I want. Pardon me, doesn't Mr. X and the Muslim movement call for the separation of the races by having the Negroes all in certain states of America? Yes. Which is yes. different from what the Mississippians want. Well, what the Mississippians want is to have or have the Negroes separated while still working while for them. still in no. the same state. In the same state. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is why this is why this is why the one the one is talking really about the nature of power, and I think one's got to make this clear. What the Mississippians have or think they have is power. What the Negro, what the Muslim movement wants is power, and I don't think that um, we can talk about it unless we're aware of this distinction, because of, the, of this reality. Because again, what the Muslim movement is doing. Is simply taking the the, uh, the equipment or the history, really, of white people among the Negroes and turning it against white people. Now, in this country today, and and yesterday, it is it is terribly difficult to um, to believe American Americans have never proven that they really consider Negroes to be men. Now, from my point of view, this has done more to destroy white men in this country than it has done, quite apart from all these things we know about, the oppression in the ghettos and the lynchings and so forth, it has done much more to destroy the country than it has done to destroy Negroes. What I'm suing for, what I, what I myself personally am suing for, is not a separation of the races. I don't believe in the first place in the races. And especially in this country, again, one is not in the situation of the Congolese fighting the Belgians. One is in the situation whether white men or black men want to admit it, are fighting one's brothers and one's ancestors. And this is a reality which, no matter how hidden, will sooner or later come to light. When one takes the road to power, it seems to me that the white world proves this. One ends up where the white world is. What has happened in the country since World War II has not been because white people have suddenly changed their minds or become more generous or any of those things. 
what has happened is the power is beginning to shift. My concern is what will happen, what will happen when I, a Negro, no longer have you as my oppressor, but I'm responsible, altogether responsible, for what is happening to me, what, I, what kind of world I want. Now, I don't want to see the history of Europe, the history of the Western nations, repeated for another thousand years with a shoe on the other foot. The handicap one has in talking in this way is that there is no way to, to use the record, the American record or the, or the record of the Western nations to prove this point. All the evidence really is on the side of the Muslim movement. What one can call about and must call about is the issue and where this will lead and what this means in terms of human beings who are finally neither white nor black. Well now, staying on that issue, if I may, and establishing here in a way that we can all agree upon how the Muslim int intends to solve that issue, is it not correct that he stands not only by the separate, for the separation of the races in separate states, but is opposed to integrations, opposed to the sit-down movement? Uh, yes. Well, there are two things here with which I differ uh, violently. One is that all the evidence is on the side of the Muslim movement. Uh, that is a justification for this campaign of hate against uh, white people. Now, uh, I would like to offer that these 18 million some odd Negroes that you're talking about in the United States are the healthiest, the wealthiest, had the most property, the best educated, and the best informed of group of Negroes in the world, and that includes all those in the Muslim country. Now, uh, we ought to get that thing straight. Uh, this is a matter of record. You don't have to get no guesswork about it. And the next thing is, when is where is there anything in the Constitution or in anything that Lincoln said or wrote uh, that says that a group has a right to uh, part of the United States to take it off by itself? I thought that issue was settled a uh, hundred years ago. I'd like to respond to one of the remarks laid by Mr. Schuyler. In researching the black Muslim movement um, and talking with hundreds of people across the country, one of the things that I found consistently was the fact that since Negroes in this country are among the best educated uh, non-white people in the world, since they have the leisure time to some extent to read and to study, and since they live in a society where there are all of these plus values available to the white man, I found that this is one of the things that is most productive of the kind of anxiety that makes for a Muslim movement. For example, we found that uh, the fact that the Negro is so well educated produces a, a kind of chafing at the bit because he cannot be a full-class citizen in terms of his education and in terms of his preparation. We find that uh, with the emergence of black states in Africa and other non-white peoples uh, in Asia and other parts of the world, that the American Negro has a sort of sinking feeling that if he isn't careful, he might be the last person in the world to attain the kind of status that would be equal with his education and his preparation. This it is upon this kind of anxiety that the black Muslim movement feeds. Mr. Lincoln, pardon me, Mr. Scholar, before we argue the point, the first thing I think we should do is to get clear what the Muslims stand for. 
Now, Mr. Lincoln, you were explaining why people turn to the Muslim movement, which is important. But as I understand reading your book, you say flatly, the black Muslims are emphatically opposed to passive resistance, as expressed by Martin Luther King. Or another quote, Muslims have only contempt for the Negro sit-in movement. Now, Mr. X, is that correct or is it not correct? Uh, America itself is opposed to passive resistance. They didn't, uh, America has never, in, when the Japanese uh, uh, attacked Pearl Harbor, America didn't resort to Pardon passive resistance. Pardon me, I'm not talking about America at the moment. I'm talking about you, uh, Mr. X, uh, and your movement. Yes, sir. I, I want to clarify that because when they refer to us as uh, non-passive, non they make it look like we're committing a crime to be non-passive. And this, uh, and this... No, uh, I'm simply asking, is Mr. Lincoln, our scholar on this subject, wrong or right when he says that you and your movement have only contempt for the Negro sit-in movement? Nah, we have never voiced any contempt for the, uh, Negro, so-called Negro sit-in movement, uh, because we don't voice contempt for movements. But if uh, the, when I you get a phrase emphatically opposed, are you emphatically opposed? Uh, we are opposed to forcing our way into a white restaurant where we are not wanted and forcing that man to serve us. We are opposed to that. Well, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, who was our religious leader and teacher, teaches us that it would be uh, wiser for the black people of America, instead of begging the white man for what he has and forcing themselves upon him to try and get something for ourselves. And uh, if, I, for instance, sir, if I force my way into a restaurant in Georgia and force the white man to serve me, I, I would be insane to let him go back in his kitchen and prepare my food, and then I sit down there and eat it after he's prepared yeah, it out I, of my sight. Perhaps I am being stupid, but it seems to me you are not answering my question. Well, what is your uh, question? My question is... Maybe is I'm Mr. not giving you the answer that you want, the way you Lincoln want it. Is Mr. Lincoln correct when he says that you and your movement are emphatically opposed to the sit-in movement? I say this, we are emphatically opposed to the methods. How about the objectives? If you If an objective is to sit down in another man's restaurant and drink a cup of coffee, when you don't yet have a restaurant of your own, then we have to be against that type of objective because after that Negro comes out of that restaurant having drunk the coffee, where will he work? Where is his job? Well, now, you are opposed to the means, you say, and I gather you're also opposed to the end because you are opposed to an integrated society. Is that correct? The uh, sit-in movement to us represents the uh, intense degree of dissatisfaction that exists among the new generation of Negro and so-called Negro in America. Uh, as such, it is important because it shows that the present generation of students uh, have lost their fear of the white man that was in the parent. Uh, Twenty years ago, the average so-called Negro in America, if he resented Jim Crow or, or uh, uh, se uh, segregation, he would only manifest that resentment to the degree that he thought the white man would allow him to or to the degree he thought that he thought he could do it. Without, without offending the white man. But Gentlemen, the, I have taken too much of the table's time. Mr. Baldwin? I think, I must say, that the, um, this argument about integration versus segregation is just as unreal um, in terms of the Muslim movement as it is in terms of the Deep South or in terms of the country. In fact, one of the things in the record is that this has been an integrated country out, in spite of the fact that it, uh, it's been illegal or, or sub-rosa. Integration is not something new. Again, we are not arguing about the aim of the civil movement is not to get a cup of coffee. It is not, it's not even to force oneself into white restaurants when it is not wanted. 
It seems to me if it has any, any aim at all, the aim is to liberate this country. And I mean, when I say this country, I mean both blacks and whites. Mr. Baldwin, now you confuse me. One can have two aims in life if one is a Negro. One can be to integrate white and black society and make it one society. The other can be to create two separate societies, one all white and one all black. Well, I understand Mr. Lincoln's scholarly study of the black Muslim movement. It is for the division into an all-white and all-black society. I would like to say that another thing that the Muslim movement stands for, and with which I'm in complete agreement, is uh, the greater interest in the Negroes acquiring an economic stake right. in this civilization. Also, in the uh, fine work of rehabilitation they've done in some of their uh, uh, young members who have been juvenile delinquents and criminals, and they've come out and by virtue of the teaching they received, uh, they've uh, changed their way of life. Now, that's been done by other movements. The uh, Muslim movement has no monopoly on it, but they have done it, and you have to give uh, uh, credit uh, for that. And so there uh, is this economic problem. Yes, and uh, there's also the problem of Pardon me, Mr. Scott, but to clarify the economic problem, would you, would you add whether you believe that the black Muslim movement uh, wants the economic uplift of the Negro or wants two separate economies? Well, they, I don't know. They may want two separate economies, but they are interested in economic uplift of the Negro, and I think that they deserve great uh, credit for that. Mr. Now, Lincoln, would you answer that question, please, so we can get it clear? My experience has been, in uh, talking with the Muslim leaders about the country, that perhaps the separate economy for which the Muslims seem to be working uh, is a means to an end. Uh, where, whether the ultimate end is a reintegrated society, I doubt rather much. But nevertheless, the Muslims seem to feel that uh, in our social structure as it now stands, that it is highly unlikely, if not altogether impossible, for them to uh, have any real economic gains. Therefore, as I interpret the movement, they prefer to withdraw from a society in which they cannot move upward to establish a society of their own in which uh, there will be black men at all levels. And then, as I understand the movement, to enter into the same kind of political negotiations with the United States as uh, exists between various other states uh, uh, at the present time. As separate entities? Yes, as separate entities, yes. What about this issue of force, which we've got to get out here? One of the most discussed things about the black Muslim movement is the frequent charge that it is going to resort to force because it believes in black supremacy. And Mr. Malcolm, Mr. X, you are always quoted as having said, there is no white man a Muslim can trust. Uh, Mr. Mohammed is always quoted as having said, we must take things into our own hands. We must return to the mosaic law of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What does it matter if 10 million of us die? There will be 7 million of us left and they will enjoy justice and freedom, etc., etc. Uh, it sounds like the language of force, is it? Before you uh, ask me to clarify that, I wish yeah. you would allow me to comment on Mr. Lincoln's last statement concerning the separate economy. Go right ahead. Uh, although, as you say, he studied it, by me being a Muslim myself, I think I can make it more clear than the scholar. Uh, America. Some of us scholars doubt that proposition, Mr. Exley. Yes, well, I don't doubt that myself. Yeah. Uh, I think you'll agree with me, though, sir, that a separate economy already exists between the so-called Negro and the white man in America. 
uh, because there is a certain category in which black people can get jobs and a certain category in which they can't get jobs. They're, they're, the economies are already separate. Uh, there's only so high that they can go in various business fields. Some business fields are shut out to them completely. Even when a black man goes into business uh, and he is in the selling business, usually if he has a successful business, he's only a, uh, every sale he makes is a resale because he, in order to have a commodity or goods to sell, he has to buy it from a white man, another white man. And uh, which means that no matter how large his store is, still all of the goods that are being sold are being sold actually uh, for the white man because the black man who's in business is not a producer. He doesn't produce that which he sells. Now, we who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad are taught that the black man, even though he goes into business, will still be a dependent person economically because he must produce. As long as the white man is the producer, then the white man is setting the price for the goods that the black man has to sell in his own neighborhood. Usually, when a black man goes into business, he doesn't go into business in a white neighborhood. He goes into business in a black neighborhood. And since he can only buy his goods from a wholesaler who is white, who gets it from the producer who is also white, then he has to come back into his neighborhood and jack the prices up to get back the money from the, uh, that the white man has already taken away but from this him. This is your explanation. I'm explaining it clear so that it won't be uh, misunderstood. So uh, Mr. Muhammad teaches us that in order for us to be economically independent, we have to have some land where we can set up our own factories and be producers, just like the white man is a producer uh, for his kind. Mr. Scholar, you seem unhappy. Well, of course I'm unhappy because I want to get back to the field of reality. Uh, there's something like 200,000 Negro individual farmers in the United States. They raise cotton, corn, they sell milk and all of that, but they're selling it to uh, white people, and uh, white people would be very, very hard put if they didn't have this cotton and corn and the meat and other things that Negro farmers raise uh, to buy from them. And so it seems to me that it's uh, inherent in trade that you buy and sell. Uh, nobody's stopping the Negroes from either buying or selling in the United States. Many of them are doing, uh, uh, doing it all the time. And uh, I think it's a perversion of the fact uh, to uh, say that Negro had no part in the economy. That's ridiculous. Uh, there must be, must be have some part in it with 1,500,000 of them in labor unions uh, throughout the country. And uh, some of them in the highest categories that I know of be too long to list here. Now, if uh, Negroes uh, have been able to devise ways and means of getting more of these uh, jobs, uh, that is partially their own fault. But, sir, even though they're in these labor unions, they're yet the last ones hired and the first ones fired. Not necessarily. And the greater percentage of the unemployed right now here in America, according to Secretary Goldberg's uh, statement, are the so-called Negroes, despite well, the fact that they belong to these unions and whatnot. That isn't entirely due to the fact that they're Negroes. I, well, I think there's something extremely misleading in trying to talk about the economy this way. In fact, as far as I can tell, the black, white, the black economy and the white economy are interdependent. And it's quite true that, that Negroes are the first to be fired and the last to be hired. This is, however, is nothing, this, these details are, are obscuring the point at the moment. My question here is, how? Is, I think it is, uh, I think we take it, for, take it for granted that the United States is not about to give uh, away six or ten states. Therefore, in one way or another, the only way this will be achieved is that they will not be able to hold on to them. Now the question is, 
What happens then to the, this economy, which Negroes have, I think you say, 20 million or 20 billion dollars at their disposal? This will no longer be so. It's a system under which it's, under which it's obtained no longer exists, which is the only way these things can be achieved. Then what will the economy be? What will be, what will be the future of these hypothetical states? What uh, will be their relationship not only to the, to the United States, because by this time, as far as we can tell, there won't be anything resembling the United States as we know it now. There will be at least another country. It will be a very different country and obviously a much less powerful country. It will be a black America and a white America, won't it? Well, it is already on this continent. Well, already pardon black me, America, but there will be America. the blacks all in some yes. states now, and whites all yes. in others. Now, if I, can, if I can say one more thing, it seems to me this, this, this is the, the, somehow the hub for me, the, the, the root of the irreality here. The illusion of white people in this country is that they are living in a white country. I think that is a very dangerous illusion. You do not have a white country with, with as many Negroes as we have had in it all these years to say nothing of the effect on white people and the, and the interaction between white and black people of, of, of this terrible history. Hope for one has got to really face the fact of what really happened. I know about the oppression, the lynchings and so forth. That is only what I know about the situation now. I mean, I'm not trying to minimize this. But this is not all that happened. This is not all that happened. A great many other things happened too. A great many other things were achieved and whether or not, I'm not talking about white goodwill, but the point is that history is also immoral, just as immoral as power is. But what history has produced in terms of one's own personality and choose the Muslim movement of being a hate movement, you know, but I do realize from my own vantage point, I'm a boy from Harlem too, how desperately and how deeply Negroes hate white people. Now white people don't want to know this and protect and spend, have spent all of my lifetime anyway protecting themselves against this knowledge. Negroes do not tell them this either. Now, Mr. Baldwin, what I'm trying to find out is whether the Muslim movement does hate me or not, and whether it proposes to use force to satisfy its hatred. It is not I don't seem to be able to get any place no. in finding it out. No, it is not important to know whether the Muslim I'll, movement... I'll clear that up. It is not important to know whether the Muslim movement hates you or not. That is not, yeah. that is not at all the question. They may or they may not. That's irrelevant. But the, but the point is that most Negroes, most black people, most black people do not trust white people, and most Negroes hate white people. And as long as this country, as the white people in this country, use all the fantastic evasions which they do use to protect themselves against this knowledge, there's one thing every white man in this country knows. He knows he wouldn't like to be black here, no matter what else he doesn't know. No. And all the liberal movements that I've ever been associated with, and all the liberals, almost all the liberals, and the exceptions only prove the rule, all the liberals that I've ever known are, are working day and night and not only, um, not only uh, in terms of not letting any girl live next door to them, but in terms of their own minds, their own consciences, their own uh, way of life, but to protect themselves against the crimes for which they know they are responsible. Now, I cannot, and this is, this is what is important about this, I think, when the future of the country depends on it. If I, as a black man, must be responsible every day of my life for something I did not do either, if I must pay for, the history written in the color of my skin. So much white people. The great, the great pain about being a Negro here is that you can never get across to a white person the fact that you are, you are as human as he is, and that he is losing his humanity insofar as he denies you yours. And this is the great advantage of the Muslim movement. It doesn't matter whether they hate you or not. But one's got to deal with the record. Um, well, I marvel sometimes that uh, if, as is said by the Muslim speakers, that the white man has hated the Negro since he has been on earth, uh, why has the white man done so much uh, to help the Negro? 
for example, I noticed they abolished the slave trade in uh, Africa and from here to Africa, and I don't know when any of the Muslim states have done that. They've set up schools and clinics and hospitals and asylums and all and colleges throughout all black Africa. I don't know that anybody can point out one Muslim college or university south of Egypt and Morocco in Africa for the education of uh, black people. Now, these things have been done, and it doesn't seem to me that this is the action of people that hate uh, a whole people. Uh, of course, there are white people who hate Negroes, but I don't see any reason or justification for exaggerating uh, the situation. May I, Mr. Baldwin, pardon me, may I come back just for the purposes of clarification to try to, to get Mr. X's comment on the statements. First, that his movement stands for black supremacy. Secondly, that it intends to bring it about by the use of force. Uh, if by supremacy you mean rule, well, uh, the fact that the white man has been ruling for so long, uh, is, which is white supremacy, and most of your white historians and your, even your current politicians and diplomats admit that the trouble that the white world is in today is losing out all over the world. Britain used to rule an empire so large, she bragged about the sun would never set on it. But well, today, when the sun rises, you can't hardly find Britain. Mr. X, we're uh, talking about what you want to happen. And your leader is quoted in Mr. Lincoln's book as saying that he wants to use an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and he wants to end white rule in the U.S. He wants to overthrow it, to use the quotation. If uh, Mr. Lincoln, Lincoln said that, Mr. Lincoln is 1,000% wrong. What does uh, he mean by the quotation, then? We must take things into our own hands. Well, what does it matter if 10 million of us die? There will be 7 million of us left. If you have men, uh, if you have uh, crimes, such as those that were committed against Emmett Till, and the government itself could go into Mississippi and find the exact culprits who committed the crime, or the type of crime that was committed against Mac Parker, and again, the government agents go in there and find the culprits who were guilty, of murdering Mac Parker and then turn around and, and the government admit that it is not able to bring those uh, murderers to justice, I think that it would be insane on the part of any man to uh, deny the family of Mac Parker or the family of Emmett Till the right to come together and defend themselves since the government admits that it can't, it is helpless to defend them. I take and, that to be your justification no, of the use uh, of violence if, by if, Negroes. If uh, America is justified in retaliating, in retaliating against Japan when Japan strikes her, or retaliating against Germany when Germany strikes her, or retaliating against any other country to defend herself from attack, I think that Mer America has reached the point of insanity to think that the world would look upon the black people here in America as being wrong if they took a stand to defend themselves against the crime that the white man is committing against us here day and night. I don't see why you don't answer the man's question. Are you for force or are you against uh, force? If you're for force and the use of force, then that's sedition. Why don't you level on the thing instead of curving all the right mode? No. Uh, uh, no. I didn't come. You, you can't question. put words in my mouth. I mean, no, I know. Right. Right. Uh, but I, would like, I want to get that point right there straight. Yeah. Since, right. It, since it is Islam and the Muslims, who are being discussed here, and it is Islam and the Muslims who are uh, under fire, I think that it is only right uh, to expect me to give, to expect me to give you my answer, not someone else's answer, because this is what primarily has been done here in America. 
Uh, everyone else speaks for the Muslims and they're not allowed to speak for themselves. Now, you don't put a yes or no answer today in the mouth of any black man other perhaps than Mr. Scott. Mr. Lincoln, would you like to comment on this or any related point as to what the real program is? Is it a program of force or not? From what I have been able to determine, the Muslims are very careful not to um, talk about the use of force. Now, in the early days of, the, of my research on the movement, uh, it was stated among Muslims that they looked forward to a sort of day of Armageddon that was to take place around 1970, yeah. when the white man in America would be overthrown, and when the black man would come into what was considered to be... I challenge that, as and I think you're a thousand percent Pardon wrong. Pardon me, Mr. X, I didn't finish that you didn't comment on yeah. But, uh, at the same time, Mr. X, uh, it is true that the Muslims have avoided, as I said, uh, any um, direct reference to the use of force. And in more recent times, the Muslims have tended to say that Allah himself, am I correct? No, here? you're wrong in the, in the first part, and you're right in the last part. We have the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has never taught us that we ourselves are going to fight the white man. Uh, but he has taught us that there will come a day when God will destroy evil from the face of this earth. God will do it. He has never... Proof of the matter is we never carry arms. We're probably the only black group in America, as large as we are, who can absolutely say at a meeting that we have that not one man in that audience has arms in his pocket or alcohol in his head. And I think that it's absurd to stand around and accuse the black Muslims of advocating violence when we've never been in the, during the entire 30 years that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has been teaching here in America, we have never been involved in any aggressive acts against any white people, and any time their violence has occurred, and even the newspapers have to admit this, and the police, whenever we've been involved in any violence, it has always been at a time when we ourselves were attacked, because we 1,000% don't believe that a man should turn the other cheek when, when there is knots on this cheek already, and the man is going to put some more knots on this cheek, we can't see that. Uh, well, gentlemen, Mr. before the time runs, yes, go ahead. May I respond to uh, Mr. X's statement? Uh, you talk about putting words in people's mouths. Now, I have pointed out very clearly uh, in my book that the Muslims do not initiate aggression. I have pointed out very clearly that they do not carry arms. I have pointed out clearly that they are taught not to initiate aggression and that they must not even have so much of the fingernail file in their pocket. Correct. And always obey the law. Always obey the law. As Mr. A matter Lincoln, of fact, you're I... confusing me. It's you who wrote the Let description of the fruit of Islam, the secret army, and said they received training in judo, military, and then uh, military drill and the use of knives and blackjacks. The fruit of Islam looks forward to playing a heroic role in the impending battle of Armageddon. Let me finish. Mr. Lincoln, page 201. Let me finish. I said that they do not commit aggression. So far, what they're going to do in the future, nobody knows except the Muslims themselves. Uh, where does uh, the blackjacks and the knives come in with Muslims? Well, they the, search for them. I beg your pardon, They search for them. Everyone who comes into the mosque uh, that, are, that are set up here in America under the spiritual guidance of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is checked thoroughly because we're absolutely against any kind of aggression or weapons that one can use in aggression. Well, if there's such peace levels, then why do you have to search them? Uh, That's the question that uh, comes to my mind. Mr. Schuyler, 
uh, the thing that I can't understand on this uh, violence and hate business, uh, the Rockwell, this uh, so-called Nazi who wanted to give a speech down in, uh, in the village, was, a, was stoned by the Jews, and the Jews were never accused of violence or hate. He was stoned in Boston by the Jews, and the Jews never were accused of violence and hate. He, the man hadn't done anything, but he wanted to make a speech. Yet any time a Muslim or a black man, he doesn't have to be a Muslim, stands up here in America and mentions that it's time for him to try and defend himself, not from someone's doctrine, but from the actual violence that is committed against him, then that black man is accused of being violent. And uh, just because we remind uh, the public of the crimes that were committed against our people here in America during slavery, we're, we're accused of advocating a hate campaign, but right now you turn on your television, your radio, and all of your press, and you'll see nothing on there about Eichmann and what the Germans did to the Jews a thousand years ago. And yet the Jews aren't accused of, of, of carrying on a, a, a hate campaign. They actually talk at great length and monopolize a considerable amount of time. However, I would uh, like to say that one of the things that was in Mr. Lincoln's book that intrigued me was the fact that uh, this Muslim movement is run as a kind of a dictatorship itself. There haven't been any elections. Uh, people have tried without uh, uh, having anything to say about it and uh, cast into the outer uh, limbo. Women are disubordinated and have no voice uh, within the movement. Now, uh, that doesn't sound, seem to me like something new in the world. It seems to me to be pretty reactionary. You wrote in the Pittsburgh Courier, Mr. Scholar, about the Muslim movement yourself on May the 30th, 1959, at which time you said, from what I have seen and heard about the program of the black Muslims in this country in the past few years, I conclude that there is much to commend it uh, to other sects and religious groups, many of whom seem to be distressingly unwitting in their way. I just said that. You also pointed out that not only do the Muslims believe in it, uh, meaning this economic progress, but they are doing it. They are not only preparing and serving their food, but they are growing it. This is what you wrote. You said that, you also said, uh, we are alone in not doing this in, in regard to setting up economic enterprises for ourselves, so we are always rattling the tin, rattling the tin cup and begging for sucker. Now, you, see, that's, uh, uh, you see, that's what you get for trying to be nice. Now, uh, <laughs> I just told Mr. X here a little while ago that this was a part of the Muslim movement which I commended very highly. Uh, I don't, you don't have to go back to what I wrote a year or so ago. I said that this afternoon and I say it again. But uh, you haven't uh, dealt with the issue that I raised about the Muslim movement uh, being dictatorial itself. Uh, now, sir, uh, it's because we have unity. Well, uh, are you arguing? No, sir. It's because we have complete unity. And again, the worst critics of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad give him credit for establishing better discipline and unity among his followers than has ever been established among any so-called Negroes in America. And uh, 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 any time there is unity in any country, that is uh, a po that is that has a philosophy or a doctrine or an aim that's uh, in opposition to the to the power uh, bl uh, existing blocks. Mr. Scholar wants to come in, and we have to move on to another point. Mr. Scholar, do you want to yeah. drop this point now? I don't think you men are going to agree. Well, of course, we'll never agree, and we, I won't drop it. But uh, I will not want to monopolize the time. Mr. Mon may I move, may I Mr. Move Scholar has made an issue oh, pardon me, about me. about the our religion, pardon me, and Mr. about Scholar the Muslims being the one the who create all this. Uh, uh, he made the point, and I think I want to clear it up. 
He has made an issue about our religion. Pardon me, Mr. Hatch, I must call you to order here. Mr. Schuyler has dropped the point so that we can move to something else. I want to bring Mr. Baldwin in here, if I may, because I've been very much interested in your articles in Harper's and the Times and so forth, in which you explain the whole Negro mood, part of which is expressed through the black Muslims, as in part a reaction to world events, particularly Africa. Uh, And this is a new Negro, you say. Now, in these terms... uh, it's, it's quite interesting to me to read of the alleged connections uh, between the black Muslims and the Muslims in Africa uh, and between the black Muslims and the Castro movement in Cuba. Uh, do you know anything about this? No, I don't know anything about that in detail. But I, um, I know nothing about the Muslim movement in Africa at all, so I can't talk about that. Well, of course, it is making great progress in yes. Africa, as you know. I know that. Do you see this as a worldwide movement at all, which would appeal to the Negro? Well, how can I put it? You know, it seems to me to be arguing, in a way, almost after the fact. What, if you're talking about power, it is very, very clear that the Western nations, the white nations, that that, that, that power is broken. Uh, the connection between Cuba and the American Negroes I can see very well, because... Uh, the way that the United States rolled in Cuba are exactly analogous in the mind of any Negro living in this country to the situation he finds himself in here. Now, the, again, I have to come back to this to this um, this point. We are really talking about power, and we cannot argue with the Muslim movement in those terms because I repeat this: they are only imitating. They're really they are simply doing the same thing that the white world has done for all these years. Now, that must be my objection to the Muslim movement. It seems to me that what, what we in this country do not know and have not faced is that we can very well isolate ourselves on this continent because the world is no longer white at all. We do not know what to do this, in the first place. When we're talking about, I, I think the Malcolm, Mr. Mer, Mr. X, and, um, and I don't agree entirely with Mr. Schuyler either, or the, or the white, or white Americans. I don't know what white men have in the first place, which is so desirable. I don't know what is, why it's so important to be white anymore. It seems to me the civilization which we are now witnessing in a way, if not the end of the great transformation of, can only be saved by us in this country if we're willing to do something which we have not done. What would we do, Mr. Baldwin, in your opinion? Do you, do you favor I, the black Muslim program, or do you favor no. the program of, let us say, the NAACP? Well, I think, I'm trying to get this. I better. think the NAACP program is probably outmoded because if when you have a situation where the legality of a country is, no, is in question, then one does not know what is legal anymore. One has got to revise the entire system. Well, the NAACP says what is legal is the integration of American life. What is legal then in, what is legal in, then in Mississippi? The how integration you, how does, of American how does, life. How does one achieve it then in Mississippi? The um, NAACP says you keep trying until you achieve it. And Mr. X, <laughs> Mr. X responds that we're not he says being, he's impatient. Mr. X responds and says he will not wait a hundred years. Ah, he says something else. He says he doesn't want it either. I say, wait a moment. No, don't say what I say. I say that the black masses themselves in America are impatient you know? and that the white man does not know how the black masses think any more than he knew how the, the peasants in Cuba thought when he went in there and thought that they would rise up inside with him. Well, now, you said the white man does not know, and I'm, I'm sure I don't know. He doesn't but know, I know, sir. This, I he know doesn't know because the, he's not being told by his uh, so-called Negro advisors, or the ones that he has set up as spokesmen for the, for the so-called Negro. Well, these, pardon me, these so-called advisors, I thought were men of some knowledge 
about the Negro community. They now Ralph live in the Bunch, Negro community. Ralph Bunch has denounced you as a totally escapist movement. Roy Wilkins, executive secretary of the NAACP, says you are preaching pure hatred. Thurgood Marshall called you so many such violent names, I won't repeat May them I here. Each one and of those. Martin Luther King says you are simply one of the hate groups arising in our midst. I think uh, all of that wait a moment, sir. I think that in uh, fairness, since these things that you read to your audience, in order for you to be fair, I have to make my comment. Go ahead. Uh, uh, number one, these so-called Negro leaders that made these statements, uh, it's contrary to our policy ever to attack anyone personally, only in defense. And I think that the uh, e each one that you read off, you couldn't find them in Harlem. The only time you ever see any one of those that are uh, made spokesmen by you, parents, by the white man, uh, you never find them in Harlem, you find them at the Waldorf Astoria. And as far as them knowing how the black man out there in the street thinks, all you have to do is do like John Griffin, this white man who posed as a Negro did for six weeks. He was a pseudo-Negro, and yet he comes back today and he's an expert on how a Negro is supposed to feel. And we've been Negro black all of our lives, and when we step up and try and tell you how a black man who is born black feels, you think that we're haters or racist or something of that sort. And I think Mr. that it's Baldwin, bringing injustice to the public. Yes, I'm from Harlem, too. I was born in those streets and raised in them, and I think I know something about it, too. Um, what all the all the condemnations from Mr. Bunch, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are all far too simple. The challenge that this movement represents, and I think it's very misleading to think about it simply as a movement. The challenge this movement represents has nothing to do with what they call themselves or even what what their aims are. Whether Mr. Rex is willing to say what their aims are or whether or not we will have, we know. The challenge this this movement represents is finally whether or not this country means to be what it says it is. Does it? Are we free or are we not? And we can only decide this one way. If the, country, if the country wants to be free, then it has got to do something to prove it. And as long as, as, long as we're not willing to do it, then the Muslim movement will gain more and more and more ground, and not only here, but all over the world. If, we, if it means we say, I think we should put the governor of Mississippi in jail, as opposed to putting people who, harmless people who challenge House and American Activities Committee in jail. I think it's, 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 I think that what is that Mr. Side, Mr. Baldwin, I still don't have clear whether you favor the Black Muslim program or the NAACP program. To well, I cannot two different approaches. Well, I cannot. I, I will not answer it that way. I certainly don't favor the Black Muslim movement. You're but not. I can see, no. no. But I can see great. Let see why it came about. You I can see very well why it came about. I, I think Mr. Lincoln has explained in his book very well why it yes, came about. I don't, think, I don't, I don't think, think that he has. I don't think there's any mystery. Very well, why it came yeah. about, no. or how it uh, exists. Uh, for instance, in there where it was said in the book that I spent two hours in a secret conversation with Castro, that wasn't done on any research other than through a local New York paper uh, whom we are suing right now for three million dollars for libel. For uh, We have a three million dollar libel suit against the New York paper for saying that I spent two hours in a secret conference with Castro. Now, if that's an authentic statement and that's representative of the other statements in the book, then I can say that the book is representative of Muslims. I must respond to that, Mr. X. It was from you yourself. I think you're not, wrong. I am not wrong on this case. Uh, it was from you yourself and not from reading in any New York paper that I found that you had had an appointment which you kept with Mr. Castro. These words are from your mouth. No, wait a minute now. I'll clarify that. Two of us, and I think Allah that there were two, uh, in a conversation with you, explained about this uh, highly publicized incident with Castro. And we told you exactly how it came about, that I was representing the city of the, the mayor's 
office and the police department and half of the civic groups in Harlem that uh, made it possible for me to go up the there uh, for the that when we have so, only seven uh, minutes left. I would like yes, to say that this particular sect or movement is just one of a succession of such movements uh, that have been in American life for the last three centuries. Among Negroes, they began uh, in the uh, around about 1815, uh, when the American colonization movement uh, began to grow, and the Negroes went to Sierra Leone, they went to Liberia, and since then, these movements have been recurrent. On the eve of the Civil War, Major Martin R. Delaney had gone to the West Coast of Africa and signed treaties with African chiefs, uh, showing that he had uh, a considerable following, and this thought has been in people's minds for a long time. It isn't anything new. But Mr. Scholar, I take it to be Mr. Baldwin's point and in Mr. Lincoln's point in his book, because there is a new situation in the world. Mr. Baldwin, yes, I don't Baldwin. think, I, must, I, I yes. think that it is, it is misleading to, to talk about even Garvey. Any of, the, any of the movements which... which the which movement of the 20s yes, for the benefit any of, those, any of these movements, there's one great difference between them, if only one. There's, the difference is Africa. No, this, this, is, this, makes, this makes a great deal of difference. But I, wanna, I really want to repeat this point. I think the only way to, 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 to challenge this movement or to undercut it, undercut it is to, uh, for this country to do something it does not seem to be prepared to do, which is to become really overnight a radical country. When I say radical, I mean to really re-examine and overhaul the entire social fabric to ask, everyone in this country should ask himself, why it's so important to be white and what they will lose if they admit to themselves, because admit to themselves that I'm not, I've, I personally, speaking only now for myself, yes. you know, I cannot imagine anything this country can offer me that I any longer want. And this is, and what has happened to me, it seems to me, has happened to everyone in, every Negro in this country. And the only way this can be redeemed and we can prevent, as I, as I say, a reversal, a, a repetition of this history with the roles reversed, is to decide, and to decide right now, that this country, either everyone in this country is free, either I'm, either I'm a man, or I am not. And it's up to the country, it is up to the country to decide it. It is not really, it is not really any longer up to me. It is but Lincoln, I don't think you agree with that from reading your book. Well, I certainly agree with it in part. Uh, whether it is the black Muslim movement, or whether it's the NAACP, whether it's the sit-ins, or whether it's the Southern, leader, Southern Christian Leadership Conference under Mr. King, one of the objectives is certainly uh, identical to all of these uh, various expressions, and that is the essential freedom and the dignification of the Negro. Now, whether he goes about it in the way of the Muslims or whether he goes about it in some other way, uh, I believe that this has to come about in this country, and it has to come uh, rather soon. This I do say uh, in my book. This country cannot continue to exist uh, black and white. Either we're going to have to be Americans or we're going to continue to be plagued with all kinds of organizations. If the black Muslims did not exist, then some other group would exist in that place to fill this place. Mr. Schuyler, I think you disagree even more sharply with Mr. Baldwin. Well, I just simply think that uh, there's a lot of wishful thinking in many of these uh, uh, statements. I see no statistical evidence of all this. I've been all over the country. I don't know if the mass of Negroes are panting to join the black Muslims, uh, just like they weren't panting to join Garvey. There are certain elements that will, uh, because you have all kinds of people in any group. The Negro group is like any other group. You have everything uh, in it. And there's never going to be any unity of all the Negroes, and I think it would be a catastrophe if there were. 
Perhaps there will never be Mr. Perhaps there will never be a complete unanimity among Negroes. It would be uh, most anomalous if, if there sh this should come about. But there is, I think, with Mr. Baldwin, a sharpening of the Negro mood, uh, a kind of insistence that he must. Pardon me, Mr. Mitchell. I want Mr. X to have a word here before we have to close. Just a, just a word. Yes, uh, I don't think that all of the Muslims who follow Mr. Muhammad read the book, uh, that is, the, those the leaders, and we actually don't think that it rightly represents us. And uh, Mr. Muhammad's aim is this. His, his, he was uh, raised by God to separate the black man in America from the white man because the white man will not give us freedom, justice, and equality on his own. And he also teaches us that if the... If, uh, White America can't give the black man in America complete recognition as a human being immediately right here, then we have to separate and God will give it to us. And the, he also teaches us that all of the trouble that America is having, just like Pharaoh had trouble in the Bible because he mistreated the slaves, every trouble, political um, and otherwise. I have the cutoff signal. <laughs> I'm sorry for this discussion. Thank you, Mr. Yes, X, Mr. Eric Lincoln, Mr. James Baldwin, and Mr. George Fowler. Your host was Eric F. Goldman, professor of history at Princeton University. Professor Goldman's guests today were Professor C. Eric Lincoln, James Baldwin, Malcolm X, and George S. Schuyler.